This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. You know, uh, when Jesus showed up that first Christmas, it was a surprise package to all the world. And we thank God it's affecting us clear down here in 2016, getting ready to go into 2017 with the victory that comes to us because of what Jesus Christ has done in our life. Amen? Amen. Nothing like a surprise package from God. But, you know, not all surprise packages are always good. Some of them can be, well, surprises that bring bad news things that bring challenge to us, you know, and it can really kind of challenge our faith. I I have a feeling that when uh, uh, Mary found out from the angel that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, and yet she wasn't married, it probably wasn't exactly great news to her at that particular moment. Surprise, you're going to be a mother. Any of you remember the old Andy Griffith show and Gomer Pyle? Surprise, surprise, surprise. I wonder if the angel said that to, to Mary. Surprise, surprise, surprise. You're going to have a baby. And she says, well, how can this be? I'm not even married. I've never known a man. And God says, a miracle is going to take place. A surprise package is going to come from this miracle that's going to change the world. When Jesus shows up in our lives, something transforms us and our circumstances, and I believe that's the miracle of what God wants to tell each of us today. We're beginning a new series of messages that we're going to call Surprise Package. Today I'm going to talk about when Jesus shows up. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin by reading verse number 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, 
He did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. And Joseph named the little baby Jesus. The last book of um, the Old Testament was written by a prophet by the name of Malachi. And it was written probably about uh, 400 years B.C., somewhere in that neighborhood. The first book of the New Testament is the book of Matthew. And it was written somewhere in the first century A.D. So between Malachi in the Old Testament and Matthew in the New Testament, there's a period of approximately 400 years. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to you, and it may not impact you much. You say, well, so what? Well, what I want you to realize is that throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies regarding the coming of a Messiah. In fact, the name Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is a Greek word which means Messiah. And Messiah means the anointed one. They had prophesied throughout the Old Testament that a Messiah would come, and this Messiah would save Israel. And the people believed that God would send this Messiah to restore Jewish culture and Jewish prominence in the world. And so those prophecies were given as a word of encouragement, and the people received them um, and, and believe them deeply. I, I want to just share three of those prophecies that are given in the Old Testament. The first one is one we've already read, actually, out of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew quotes this particular prophecy out of Isaiah 14. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Another prophecy about the coming Messiah is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Actually, we sang about this in one of our songs. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And I tell you, that's a prophecy right there that all of us long for. Don't you long for the time when his government over the world is going to bring increasing peace. Peace that has no end. Oh boy, do we need that. A third prophecy uh, out of the multitude of prophecies in the Old Testament is found in the, the uh, Old Testament minor prophet book of Micah. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one who will be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now, every Jewish kid would have been taught those prophecies and scores more that are found in the Old Testament. They foretold the coming of the Messiah. These people believed in those prophecies. These kids grew up to be adults that claimed that the Messiah was coming. They longed for it. They believed it. They prayed for the fulfillment of the promise. But about 400 B.C., 
when Malachi's prophecy was finished, instead of the voice of Israel's Messiah, what they heard was silence. Silence. The voice of God went quiet. 400 years of silence. 400 years of no word from God. 400 years, no prophecy. 400 years of wondering, has God forgotten us? Will the prophecy ever come true? Was this all just make-believe, or is it real? Will God fulfill what he has promised? Probably every one of us who have served Jesus Christ for any length of time have experienced that same kind of desert spiritual experience. Now, not for 400 years, obviously. But we have experienced, if you haven't yet, the good news is you will. It's part of the Christian life. God will test you. There will be times that you will go through in your life where it will seem as though God is not living up to what he promised. Times when you hear nothing from God. You hear nothing from his spirit in prayer. It's silent from heaven. Times the word of God seems dry and and fails to give you the life and the hope that you would hope it would give you. Times that God's word seems stale. The Christian life is an incredible life. I will tell you that the promise of eternal life is an astounding reality within every person who has made Jesus Christ Savior and Lord of their lives. Now, if all you have is a religion, you don't know what I'm talking about. Because a religion will not give you the sense of eternity, of eternal life. May, you may have a sense of eternity because we all have been given that by God. But of eternal life, that's another matter. And religion leaves people wondering. And so terrorists fly planes into buildings and they say, I hope this makes me right with my God. And I have talked to people in this city who are very religious, city, uh, religious people, and they say to me, I, I hope I'm doing enough. I want to tell you something this morning, not out of pride, but out of the reality of knowing the Word of God and living and standing on the promises of God, that I know that I know that I know that I have eternal life inside of me. I know where I'm going. I sense the presence of God within my life on a daily basis. But I will tell you also that there have been times in my life when I haven't sensed the presence of God. And you will go through that in your Christian life. The incredible parts of experiencing Christ is something to hang on to, but you won't have those experiences every single day of your life. There will be times that you will wonder where God's presence is. There will be times of struggle. When you experience hearing from God and you know 
that your sins are forgiven and you pray and you, and you experience the, the Lord speaking to your heart and you read the word and it comes to life and it just is so powerful. There's, it's incredible, it's wonderful. But then there will be those seasons and those times of silence where you'll be tested. Times when God's word seems dry. So, times when heaven seems to have little to say. Now that's when serving God gets tough. Not easy during those times. It's growing, but it's tough. We often call it, I've heard it oftentimes in my life, referred to as the heavens are as brass. Maybe you've heard that phrase. My prayers seem to be bouncing off the ceiling, something like that. It's called a spiritual desert experience and we all go through it. Now the truth is, What you feel is a lie because God is still right there with you. He will never leave you. His presence is just as real when you don't feel him as he is when you do feel him. How do I know that? Because Hebrews 13, 5 reminds us that God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So when I feel abandoned, that's a lie. My feelings are lying to me. The truth is God will never forsake you. He'll never turn away from you. But there are going to be those times that you're not going to feel him. It will seem like he's left you. It will seem like he's not there. It will seem like he has failed or abandoned you. I don't know, maybe the writer of the Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but maybe the writer of the book of Hebrews, as he was ministering to the people that he, he was trying to bless and encourage in the Lord. Just kind of saw it in the eyes of some of the folks that maybe there was a little bit of despair, maybe even a little bit of fear in, in some of their eyes, in some of their hearts. Uh, and, and it caused him to, under the inspiration of the Spirit, include some thoughts into his writing to the Hebrew believers. And, and so inspired of the Holy Spirit, He put that phrase in there. He put that verse in there. Don't forget this. God has promised he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. Don't ever forget that. Well, why would you forget it when you feel him? It's because there's going to be times you won't feel him. And you've got to be reminded that his promises are true whether you feel the promises or not. That's what faith is. Faith is standing on something that you don't necessarily feel, but you believe because God said it. And you're going to stand on that. What do you do when the heavens are silent? What do you do when you go through a a season when God seems distant? After all these years of serving Christ, this is what I can tell you. You hold steady. You stand on your faith regardless of how you feel. You acknowledge the fact that your feelings are lying to you and you're going to believe God, not your feelings. So you hold on to his word by faith. In fact, you let faith trump your feelings. That's why the next verse in Hebrews 13, verse number six goes on to say, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now it takes faith when you're being opposed by people that are more powerful than you and they're coming against you. It takes faith to believe 
and to say, what can mere man do to me? Well, they're doing a lot to me right now. A lot of people coming against me right now. It takes faith when the doctor says it doesn't look good and the report comes back bad and yet you stand and choose to believe what Hebrews 13.5 said, God's not leaving me because I'm going through this crisis doesn't mean God has left me or walked away from me. It takes faith when you're facing uh, the disintegration of your family. When perhaps a spouse says, I'm done, I'm, it's over. They promised until death do us part, but they walked away from the promise, and now you're left holding the bag, and you don't know where to go, and what's going to happen to you. And, and it takes faith in those moments to stand on Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.6 here, the verse we just quoted, actually, I don't know if you know this or not, is a quote from... Psalm 118 and verse 6. It's a quote out of the book of Psalms. The 118th Psalm is a part of, of six what we call Hallel Psalms or praise songs, Psalms. You know the word hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hallel is the root of that. It's a Hebrew word that simply means praise. And this set of six Psalms are, are called the Hallel Psalms, the praise Psalms, and they are used by Jewish families as they partake of the Passover celebration. So as they eat the Passover meal once a year, they sing these six psalms because psalms are songs. They sing these six psalms uh, during the course of partaking of the evening meal, which means that Jesus, the night of his arrest, before he's arrested is in the upper room with his disciples. And with his disciples, he is singing these six psalms. Now, I want you to think about that. Knowing he's going to be crucified, knowing he's going to be arrested, knowing he's going to be unjustly accused, knowing he's going to be beaten to the point that you don't recognize him physically anymore, that's what the Bible says happened to him. Knowing that that's going to take place, he's singing praise songs to God, to his Father. Let that sink in just a minute as we review verse number 6 one more time. He's singing so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Are you kidding me? In just a couple of hours, man is going to take him and brutalize him and ultimately crucify him. And he's singing a couple, he knows this, and he's singing just a couple of hours beforehand, what can man do to me? If it would have been me, I would have sang, uh, sang a song like, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If I had no bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. That's me. That's not Jesus. Jesus is singing a song of praise and of faith. He sang Psalm 118. Now, the other thing I want you to realize is that Psalm 118 is the last psalm in this grouping of six praise psalms. 
okay? So it's the last song that they're going to sing. They started the meal singing Psalm 113. They end the meal singing Psalm 118. And so let's, let's go on down further towards the end of that psalm and see what it says, as specifically keeping in mind that he knows what's coming. And he's singing these words. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. Now, I'm going to tell you that for 33 years, once a year, Jesus knew exactly what that was about because that's the Passover sacrifice. They took the lamb, the spotless lamb, the perfect lamb, the guiltless lamb, and they bound him with cords and they put that lamb, innocent lamb, on an altar of sacrifice and they slit its throat. And they captured the blood and they took the blood into the holy place and the most holy place. And there they sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat and on the altar. And it became a way that God would forgive them of their sins. Jesus knowing that he had participated in that for 33 years, 33 different times he had put the lamb on the altar. He had bound it and put it on the altar, knowing that in just a few hours, he is going to be bound with the cords of hatred coming from Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers in a way few other criminals have ever experienced it. And he's singing this knowing in his mind what is to come. But he went on, and he's saying, verse 28, you are my God, and I will praise you. I will praise you? This is what I'm facing? This is God's will for my life? And, and I'm going to praise you? You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. I suppose if I would have been in his shoes, I would have probably thought something different than God's plan is good. That probably wouldn't be the first word that jumped to my mind. How could Jesus sing a song like this knowing that in just a couple hours he was going to face the most horrific trial of his life? He was going to be brutalized beyond recognition and then nailed mercilessly to a cross until he was dead. How could he do it? He, do it, he could do it because he knew. Verse number 5, Psalm 118 said, or excuse me, verse number 6, that God would never leave him and never forsake him. That the cross was not a sign that God had walked out on him. The cross was God's plan so that you and I could sit in this auditorium today and know what it is to have our sins forgiven and to be changed people. Not perfect, but changed. Being perfected. How do you handle hard times in your Christian life? How do you handle silent times? Times when it seems like God isn't listening. 
I will tell you that I have been in the ministry for a long time and I've seen a lot of people come and go. And a lot of them, they leave because God doesn't perform to the standard that they want. They expect X, Y, Z, and when God doesn't give X, Y, Z, the way they want it, when they want it, out the door. How do you handle it when things don't always go the way you want? You've got to remind yourself that no matter how you feel, God is, will never leave you. He has not left you, and he will never forsake you. Going back into Israel's history, just briefly again, the, the, the time came, obviously, that the 400 years came to an end. The silence was broken, but this time it wasn't broken by the shout of a, of a prophet. It was, it was broken by the cry of a little baby, a little baby born to peasants, born in obscurity, but this was no ordinary baby's cry. Though many people in Israel didn't hear it, and many of them who did hear it didn't care, it was still the cry of prophecy being fulfilled. The Messiah was born. What they had always hoped for, the silence was coming to an end. It was over. God is now speaking, except this word from God comes with arms and legs. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This isn't just a religious guy. This is God eternal. And verse 14 tells us that this Word became flesh and blood, just like you and me. And he dwelt for a season of time among us. And we had the privilege of beholding the glory of God in human flesh, full of grace and truth. 400 years of silence broken by the cry of a baby one cold Judean night. But when Jesus showed up that night, that first Christmas, God's voice showed up with him. The silence was broken, and God's power showed up with him as well. You know, John the Baptist was put in prison by Herod, the king, because of what he was preaching. You know, the reality is that preachers have never been real popular in culture, not those who really preach truth. And uh, so Herod threw him in jail, but he was hearing about what Jesus was doing, so, he, so John the Baptist said to some of his disciples, hey, I want you to go and ask Jesus something very specific. Luke 7, verse 19, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? And Jesus told him, go back, told them, go back to John and tell him, what you have seen and heard, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead, they're raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now that's what happens, folks, when Jesus shows up. Impossible situations absolutely turn 180 degrees and become a miracle because Jesus shows up. People you thought never could be changed the power of God comes into their life and they're changed 
when Jesus shows up. Diseases that have no cure by medical science, boom, healed in a moment, in an instant, by the power of God. When Jesus shows up, miracles happen. I grew up on my parents' 100-acre property, and I refused to stay inside. I loved being in nature. I would just go out there by myself, and I'd have all this time, and I would be talking to God, and we'd have this conversation, and like I didn't know that that was strange or unusual. I would just pray to him, and then sometimes he would, he would say something to me and speak to me. I was about 10 or 12 years old. Uh, middle of the day, God gives me a very vivid picture of a little kid, and I'm holding her, swinging around in um, my parents' yard, and she's just laughing like crazy. In the picture that I had in my mind, she had dark skin and dark eyes, and uh, God said, this is gonna be your daughter, and her name is gonna be Chloe. Um, Walt and I grew up together. I think he moved to town the year I was born, so we've known each other my whole life. Um, when I was 10, we moved right across the pasture from him, so we grew up together. Her family and my family were friends, and so I got to go over to her house um, frequently. Of course, she's a little munchkin, so I'm not really paying attention. First, I was using shampoo and conditioner, but not anymore. Now I use So I, my whole life, I was like, I, I think Walt Manus is amazing. <laughs> and I always thought when I grow up, I want to find someone just like him. Who um, was in my age group. <laughs> I went to university um, about 30 minutes from where he was living. And when I, when I went, he just kind of came in and helped get me settled and helped introduce me to a church. And so we just started spending more and more time together. and. We were sitting in his car just talking and we had this conversation about what our dreams and our hopes were for the future. And um, I said that I felt like um, God had just made me to be a mom. That's what I wanted more than anything, I wanted to be a mother. And I said that I had actually a name picked out already that I wanted to name my daughter. And and he he said, I do too, which I thought was weird because you know I didn't think guys did that. <laughs> and I was like, well, what's the name? And she said, Chloe. And he's like, you've got to be kidding me. You won't believe this. God gave me, when I was 12, that name, Chloe. So he's telling me this story and I'm thinking, this is crazy. Like, first of all, I don't have a lot of experience with God speaking to me like that. <laughs> she was in the same place that I was. We couldn't believe it, you know? In the picture, Chloe always had olive skin, so he always thought he would marry a woman with olive skin. She can't have a, a brown-eyed child. I didn't know what to do with it. I think we both knew pretty early on that we were gonna get married. It just. I don't know, the best way I can describe it is that Walt felt like home to me. Like from the very beginning, I felt like, yeah, this is, this is where I belong with this guy. When we first got married, we, we decided we wanted to wait a little while to have children. We ended up um, traveling, doing some work with some different missions agencies. And then at a certain point we realized, no, this is the right time. We wanna start pursuing having children. And we were so excited. We thought, we thought it was just gonna happen immediately, you know? And so we were like, yeah, let's start our family. Let's have children. And, you know, months turned into years, and pretty soon we were four years into trying and still nothing. I had always clung to this promise that God had given me about the daughter, so I didn't know when it was gonna happen, but it was, it was starting to get hard to wait. It was really hard. It was really, um, 
I don't know, I think I, I struggled with questioning God's goodness in that time um, because I just felt like it was so mean, you know, like such a mean thing to do. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so there was like a probably four and a half year period that um, I would say was really, really hard on us individually, on us um, in our marriage, and also like the way we were relating with God, especially for me, I felt like, is God good even when he's not doing things that I would define as good? All of her friends were having kids and, and she had to just wait and put on this cheesy smile, this fake smile and say, we're happy for you. And every time that we, we would hear about someone getting pregnant, we would just be devastated because we were thinking, this isn't gonna happen for us. We're just, we're just fools. We're fools who, who want kids and it's never gonna happen. And then I would say somewhere, I feel like God shifted something in me so significant. There was a point where I started to realize, actually, no, I, I can live like a really full and really happy life and like experience so much with God and like know Him so deeply and be satisfied in the deepest way a human can be satisfied, um, even without having a child. It sounds like a simple concept, but for me, that was a big, a big change, a big shift in, in my perspective. We kept praying through that time, God, if you're saying that you don't want us to be parents, like just take this desire away from us. But more than ever, we wanted to be parents. Like it just, the desire was almost getting stronger. He kept compelling us in his love to like love, love this idea of being parents and love this idea of, um, yeah, of having this little girl. And so well, that's what we did. We just kept, we just kept praying. There were tons of people praying for us and with us, people that we didn't even know. Like people would come to us and say, all these, this Bible study group I'm a part of is praying for you guys, is praying for this situation. And I don't know, that was a really um, special thing to get to feel like the body of Christ in a larger, on a larger scale, like standing with you through something. Annie is like, well, maybe, maybe we're supposed to adopt. And I was adamantly against it. How are you feeling about adoption? I had this thought of like, I don't want, I called it a band-aid baby. I, we are struggling, we are hurting, and you know, I don't, I didn't, I didn't want just a fix. I didn't, I didn't want just some kid. I wanted the kid that we were supposed to have, you know? And God just like, he progressed, progressed me from like being adamantly against adoption to be like, you know, I, I just want the kid that God wants. Maybe it's not supposed to come through biological means. Maybe it's, it's supposed to be through adoption. So what do you think? I think that I'm very excited to adopt, but waiting will be hard. We had gone through all the paperwork. Annie had done so much work and I had supported her in that, but I still wasn't convinced that the adoption was right. I remember one night we were at Walt's sister's house and I was checking my email and there was an email that came in and it said, it's a girl. I clicked on it and I realized it was from the adoption agency and they said, we just wanted to let you know that a birth mother has chosen you guys and yeah, you're gonna be parents. And I was like, I just sat there looking at the email like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. Annie gets this email, she's super excited and I'm just like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna wait and see. Cause I don't, I don't know, you know? We have some adoption news. Finally, there's something happening. Yeah, we're really excited. She'll be born in late February or early March. 
Coming close. And we're working on her name right now. We're working on it. The name Chloe's completely off off the table. We've abandoned it. We had decided, oh, that was just a fluke thing. That was a coincidence that we both liked that name. You know, that was nothing. And so we had even talked about a different name. And the social worker working with us, she says, okay, well, the birth mother would like to meet you before she has the baby. And we were like, yes, we want to meet her. Sounds great. And so we took a trip up to Wichita. Today's a big day, huh? Yeah. What are we doing? We're going to meet Allison for the first time. You nervous? Yeah. A little bit. We went to the house where she was living and we knocked on the door and... She opens the door and it looks like a grown-up version of this little girl in my head that was from the past. And I was like, oh my goodness, what in the world, you know? And so, in a second, in my head, the name was back on the table. We went up to this room and sat and talked for I don't know, three hours or so. The social worker says, now nah, let's talk about a name. Have you, have you thought of a name? She said, yeah, well, ever since I got pregnant, even before I knew it was a girl, I've been calling this baby Chloe. We were just floored. And both Walt and I, I mean, I, I don't even remember what we did exactly. I just know that I was ugly crying. We were weeping and she was like, oh, you hate the name. And we're like, oh my goodness, no, we love the name. God has spoken, he's told us this name. It just dawned on me before I ever even knew you guys existed or anything. Just, it was like, I want a name, you know, this little girl Chloe, and I didn't know if you guys would like it or stick with it or anything like that. I just kind of figured maybe you'd have something else, but, so that's why, like, when I threw it out there, I was just kind of like, um, I've been calling her Chloe. <laughs> and then you guys like, and I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, it's a bad name. <laughs> All those doubts about having the Band-Aid baby were just, completely out of the window and I was it felt like I just had full body shivers it was like it was like the Holy Spirit was just right there this is so much a God thing that's going on right now you've been uh, planned for for a long time <laughs> before you were even conceived we knew your name and I think we know what you're gonna look like I don't know but we'll see I love you we look forward to we look forward to seeing you. When the birth mom said the name Chloe, you know, in an instant, I had become a father. Even before she was born, I was her dad. This surreal presence of God was just all around us, and I just I felt Him saying to me, "See how much I love you? Do you see this? Like, do you see what I've done? Like, I've been writing this story. You had no idea. I've been writing this story." For years, since since Walt was a kid, I've been writing this story, and I realized how foolish I was, I guess, like how how um, my perspective was just so skewed in my own pain that what I saw as him not loving me was in fact him being the most loving he could have been. Day of. Yeah. What were we about to do? Go to the hospital. I can't find your toothbrush holder. Well, no, are you nervous? A little bit. Yeah, I was just crazy nervous that morning. Like, um, I remember going to the hospital and, and then all of a sudden it was happening. All of a sudden the doctor came in and was like, okay, she's ready and you're gonna have a baby now. And um, I don't know, and there was just all this movement and bustling around and then Chloe was there. Like, I was just, I was looking at this baby, this, my baby. I was just looking at her all of a sudden, like she wasn't there and then she was there. Big girl. 
How are you doing, Annie? I'm good. I'm really good. Yeah. <laughs> so many years of anticipating her as a child. She's here, you know? She's been a part of my life for so long, and she's finally here. I remember just look, like holding her and looking at her face and being like, I'm your mom. I'm your mom. And I just sounded so weird to say those words. There was no mistake. I am the father of this child, just like God had always planned it to be. And I'm completely owning it. Like, on cloud nine, just amazed at what God has done. It was like he was whispering to me in that moment, like, I've been here this whole time. And you didn't know, but I've been here this whole time. I've been walking this thing with you. And I was just saying, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me. I've got something good. I've got something good up ahead. It's a constant struggle to just sit in his sovereignty. And when everything is falling apart in your, in your mind, just to wait. And, and there were so many people that got to celebrate with us. I can't even count the number of people who came and said that, um, that they had prayed for us or that they had um, waited for this baby with us or that our story had somehow spoken to them. I don't know, it was just such a, a special time of seeing like, this wasn't just about me and Walt and this baby and, and our birth mother, it was about like all these people that God wanted to touch and encourage and bless through this story. He just doesn't leave anything to chance. It's, it's not random. And it's just, it's amazing. It's a miracle. You know? It only speaks of God. Uh, people can say, oh, it's, it's, just, it's just a coincidence, you know? You, you can't convince me that. I think God is incredible. I think it's incredible the way that he flung the stars into space. And that same God, the same God who keeps the world from falling apart, he loves me. He loves me. With or without us ever having a child, that's what he's taught me through this. Like, he loves me, and I can be so secure in that love. And to be able to trust that and to rest in that, I mean, it's the greatest gift. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.